What do you know about that, man? <laughs> That was pretty fun. <laughs> All right, you want to just get going with it? Mm -hmm. Just jump straight into it? Mm -hmm. I'm Chase Winninger, host of the podcast. Lee McClellan, co-host. How is everyone? It's been a while. It has been a while, Lee. Well, it's good to have you back. I've had some health issues, people. I'm sorry. I just uh, got some things i got to take care of. I wish you were out having fun or doing something that we'd all be jealous yeah. of. But... Sitting in a hospital, sitting in a hospital <laughs> bed is not, yeah. is not as much fun as... Yeah. Floating the creek. I'll be, that's the last time I saw you, Lee. We were out wading. We up. caught fish. Yeah, we did pretty good that day. Last time I was that was a that was a bit ago, but yeah, we went out and caught some good el elkhorn smallmouth. Mm -hmm. I actually went and floated that same stretch that me and you wade fished uh, two days ago, and I mean the fishing's getting good. You know, it's all about water levels. It was about two sixty when I floated. It, it was, was two forty two, I think, yesterday. It might you? be shooting up now. Yeah, because we got a lot of rain this morning on my way into work. So still got a good month. Oh, easily. I mean, late September and October are probably the best times to go creek fishing. Yeah. So I'll be out there plenty more. I really would like to fill my deer tag. When I say I've, I've already got a doe, but I'd really like to fill that buck tag so I could focus on fishing. Because right now I just feel drawn to the woods. It's hard for me to get my mind off of deer. Like if I've got a good wind to go buck hunting, it's hard for me to do anything else. And so as soon as I fill that buck tag, I'll be a lot more opened up to going fishing more, but basically waiting for that. When do you plan to do it? Lee, I've been hunting 12 times so far. Um, actually, I'll tell you what, opening morning, I did shoot a buck. I had a buck coming in, he was consistent. I think I showed you a picture of him off my trail camera. You did. He, he showed up opening morning before daylight. I knew he was gonna be there early, so I got in my stand extra early that morning just so I could beat him there. And about, 6.43 was legal shooting light, and at about 6.30, I heard some crunching coming my way, and I knew that it was him, because I don't know if you've ever listened to a doe or a small buck walk through the woods. You'll, it's a twig breaks here, a twig breaks there. A big mature buck, a lot of times, they just don't care, and I could hear, you know, branches getting pushed around, and, and it, it was just something just walking through the woods without a care in the world, and so that is when I knew, okay, well, here he comes. And he came up next to me and he was only about 15 yards from me and it was still dark out. And I could see his silhouette and I could see the outline of his rack, just kind of a white figure moving through the woods around me. And uh, I had him there for about 10 minutes, uh, 15 yards before shooting light. And then he walked back into the woods and about 10 minutes after that, it was a 645. I know because he was on my trail camera, he walked back out in front of me and it was two minutes into legal shooting light and he looked at me and he just pegged me in the stand and he was staring me down, just staring a hole right through me. And I was like, well, it's now or never. Yeah. So I was able to pull my bow back with him looking at me and I I got a shot on him and I think I went just, a, he was quartering away and I hit him in his shoulder on my side. Um, which, you know, you hate to hit a deer and not kill it, but his shoulder blade, I didn't get an exit. Um, I think his shoulder blade stopped my arrow. And uh, even if I did get through that shoulder blade at that angle, I probably would have been in front of any of the vitals. So I, I did everything I could to find him. I blood trailed him, very, very, very little blood with one of my buddies. Then I brought Rachel Kroom. That was great to say, Suki come? Suki came out, Rachel brought her blood tracking dog and we tracked him about 600 or 700 yards using the dog. And after we got done, Rachel told me, she said, 
Uh, she said, Sookie knows. She said, Sookie can't tell us, but Sookie knows if that deer's alive or not. And uh, she said, based on the way Sookie was acting, she thinks that the deer was not hit fatally. Um, and then I went back out four different days and flew a drone over the cornfields, thinking that if he went down in that corn, he would just be really hard to find and that I might be able to find him with a drone, especially, you know, if, if there was a dead deer in the cornfield, buzzards and coyotes would kind of clear out an area around it. They'd knock over those corn stalks and drag in the body around. And I thought I'd be able to find something. I was actually out there yesterday afternoon with the drone flying again. It's that's two weeks after the fact and there's no sign of him. So I have a feeling that he's probably alive and doing just fine. Probably forgot all about it by now, which, you know, I've, I've had that happen before. October of 2016, I shot a nice buck, looked for him for a week, didn't have any luck. And then I checked my trail camera and he was back the very next day. And Ended up getting a second shot of that deer later in the season. So, did you get him? I got him. Yeah, second time around. So I'm hoping that my luck works out that way this year. But so far, there's no sign of him on a trail camera, and he might just be playing it smart. But I had my opportunity, Lee. I should have probably been the first person in the state to kill a big buck this year because, like I said, it was two minutes into legal shooting mm -hmm. light on opening morning. So I'm not sure if anybody beat me to it. Not legally, probably, but it uh, it kind of stings. You know, it's a buck I've been looking for. I'll get it happens. Thing. Yeah, there's there's plenty of, part of it. plenty of season left. That's the benefit of bow hunting. You you can have a you can get a chance to make a mistake and and still get plenty more chances. Four yeah. four and a half months is a pretty long season, no doubt. So, but right now we're kind of in that phase, you know, where velvet's dropped off and testosterone's gone up, and but that mainly causes bucks to be nocturnal. And uh, you know, this week and next week, the last two weeks of September traditionally are the lowest harvest numbers in the state, and that's just because bucks are not moving as much. So it's going to be tough. But here in a few weeks, October will roll around, and deer will be on hoof, and I'll be excited. So no doubt, I'm still hunting them hard, though. Still hunting them hard. What well, about this cold front this week? What will that do for you? It can't hurt. Um, I need to look at the wind direction. That's what I thought. Yeah, wind direction. It's been unusually warm. Has it put them down? I'd say they don't want to move um, when it's that hot out. I wouldn't. But, I mean, there's still deer up and moving around. It's actually kind of a bummer. I, I have a deer stand and a camera that I have not hunted yet, and I actually hadn't checked that camera for three weeks because I'd been so focused on this other spot, and I hadn't had anything good on that camera. And yesterday I went hunting, and I sat there for hours and didn't see a deer, which is pretty typical. Um, and then after I got done hunting, I went over and I checked that camera that I hadn't checked in three weeks. And there was a big buck on it yesterday morning in daylight. If I would have hunted my other stand, and I had, I had no idea that buck was even around. He's not huge, but he's a mature deer. So I might switch things up and hunt him and give my other spot a little break. So I'm looking forward to it. But let me look here, Lee. So there are, so I don't how up to, because you've been out, right? You've been out a little bit. So how up to speed are you on what's going on with CWD right now? Not very. Not very? I've heard I did some, but I know. I need a refresher. Well, let me give you a refresher. Okay. And I'm not the CWD expert, you know. Mm -hmm. um, I'd love to have uh, Kyle Sams or John Hast or Gabe Jenkins, and we will have them to talk about it, I'm sure. But I'm I'm not going to go into a lot of detail about, you know, the why or anything, but I'll tell you what the restrictions are and basically what's happened. Because a huge part of the agency's CWD response effort is communication. So you have to communicate with you know, yes. maybe a podcast or a TV show. It or, made the local news in Lexington. I do know that. It'll, All three channels. It should be a big deal, especially down around Murray. Um, but a huge part of our effort is communication. And that's kind of what 
I do, and that's kind of what you do. So I'm involved in all the communications talks. So I've heard a lot about CWD, and I'm pretty up to speed on what's going on. So I'll give you the rundown. So basically, you know, all the states are... I know it was close to the border, correct? 7.8 miles south of the Kentucky border. In, it's uh, near real foot. Tennessee. Yeah, it's... Um, Henry is the county in Tennessee. So it's 15 miles south of Murray, Kentucky, is where the CWD-positive deer was found. And wow. it, it was a three-and-a-half-year-old female who had symptoms of the disease. And, of course, it takes about 14 to 16 months for a deer to start showing symptoms after they have actually contracted the disease. So that means this deer had been on the landscape for probably a year and a half, CWD. Sick. Yeah. So that means that there's a chance that there could be other deer that are infected too. And 7.8 miles from the border is not terribly far, basically because of the proximity to the border, Kentucky. Well, 15 miles from Murray. Yeah. So we, you know, the, the agency drew the 30 mile, all this was pre-planned in the CWD response plan. This has all been in place and basically said, there was a section in the CWD response plan, section E, that specifically states if a free ranging deer is found within 15 miles of the Kentucky border, this is what we do. So this deer was found 7.8 miles from the Kentucky border. So therefore we enact section E of the CWD response plan. And uh, basically a surveillance zone is set up around that positive case, which includes five counties, Fulton, Hickman, Graves, Callaway, and Marshall counties, which are all west of LBL. Mm-hmm. And those counties are now our surveillance zone. And we're gonna have increased monitoring for CWD there, increased testing, and there are some restrictions that are being put into place in those counties to um, you know, reduce the possibility of CWD spreading and things like that. So basically, our big communications effort right now is letting the people who live or hunt in those counties know what they need to know because these restrictions took place after deer season had already started. So the hunting guide's been printed, right? Mm-hmm. Everybody knew what they needed to know for deer season and now something's changing because of this positive case in Tennessee. So our big effort and your big effort with the magazine also and press releases is gonna be letting people know what these changes are. And so if somebody hunts deer in these five counties, um, basically what's the restrictions are is a baiting ban on you can't put um, salt mineral or grain out on the ground for for deer to eat or for any wildlife to eat really you can still feed birds you know in bird feeders around your house and things like that but you can't purposely put food on the ground for animals to eat especially you know deer mm-hmm. the baiting ban is one Two is transport. Um, people in those five counties, Fulton, Hickman, Graves, Marshall, and Callaway, if they harvest a deer in those five counties, that deer cannot leave those five counties unless it's been completely deboned. So you can't take any brain, yeah. spine, or bone at all because CWD can be in the bone marrow. Um, apparently it's pretty dense in the bone marrow. So you have to basically have all your meat off your carcass and just a clean hide and skull plate if you want to have that deer mounted before you can take it out of those counties. You can still bring deer in though. So if you live in Graves County and you hunt, let's just say in Crittenden County and you harvest a deer, you can bring that deer in. You just can't take deer out of the surveillance zone. Um, Any deer being transported in the surveillance zone have to have a carcass tag on them, which can just basically be a piece of paper that you write down all the information that's on your harvest log. So county, species, sex of the animal, date of harvest, county of harvest, your name, and then they want a phone number. And if you've called it in, confirmation number. So it's basically everything on the harvest log plus a phone number. 
is what you use for your carcass tag and you can just zip tie that or tie that to the deer's carcass while it's being transported the other one and this is why it's a big deal right now is um mandatory check stations in those five counties so if you harvest a deer in those five counties you have to take your deer to a check station for muzzleloader season early muzzleloader which starts like next weekend two weeks from now um for modern firearm season or for late muzzleloader season so for any of those three which are the two muzzleloader seasons and then modern firearms you have to take your deer to a check station if you live in those five counties and they're basically just going to pull samples and take some you know metrics off those deer and that's part of how we're going to increase surveillance is getting those extra samples in for cwd hunters are going to be partially responsible for that and are going to be helping us out with that by just submitting their harvested deer for samples and then the fifth and final restriction doesn't really apply to a lot of people it's about rehabbers so rehabbers animal rehabbers in those five counties are no longer allowed to take white-tailed deer and rehab them and if they happen to have white-tailed deer that they're rehabbing right now they just have to be released back into the county that they are being rehabbed in i think there's only two deer being rehabbed currently in those five counties so yeah. very so, yeah. nothing yeah. It, it has to be said but it applies to almost nobody the main things that hunters in those counties need to know are the baiting because that needs to be taken care of asap these these are all into effect right now rich commissioner rich storm signed the order last week and as soon as he signed it they went into effect so baiting is right now illegal in those five counties um, you can't transport a deer out of those five counties if it's harvested there. Uh, carcass tags are mandatory for any deer being transported in those counties. And then when our early muzzleloader season comes in, there will be mandatory check stations. So basically, what you've missed is the news of CWD being that close to Kentucky coming out. And then us, you know, here specifically in communications, trying to figure out how to communicate with everybody that these restrictions are now in place. So that's that's the CWD front, Lee. Yep, I've, I've seen some of the meeting notes and stuff virtually yeah. when I've been working at home. Yeah, you, you missed uh, you missed that for unfortunate reasons. Uh, people like uh, Brooks missed it because he was in Wyoming on an elk hunt, and so, so you know I missed it because I was laying in a yeah. hospital bed with two IVs and each arm. And you feeling hydrated though? Yeah, I tell you what, IV does work. I give them that. <laughs> yeah. There's yeah. a reason athletes do it at halftime. It, it works. If I, I feel like the people say that IVs work miracles. They're like They just make you feel so much better instantly. Mm -hmm. And if I wasn't afraid of needles, then I'd be all about it. But. Well, I used to be, but when you've been poked as many times as I have in the last couple of years, Ooh. you get over it pretty yeah, quick. Yeah, I'm, I'm not a big fan. I'm actually not afraid of needles. But I don't like the idea of something penetrating me. Yeah, it gives me the heebie-jeebies. It's not that. It's when I was a little kid. I actually drowned when I was a kid, and I, I was underwater for like 12 minutes. And, you told me. Yeah, but I was in the hospital for a while after that, and I remember I had an IV in my arm, and I, I, when I would be walking down the hallway, if I'd get ahead of my IV bag, it hurt. No, it, it was like vacuum pressure. Oh. And it would suck blood out of my arm, and the blood would shoot up the tube. Mine would hurt when it would just pull on it. Well, for, I've always had a stigma about that since then. It's just something about the the seeing that blood just be sucked out of my arm like that. I just, I'm not, I can sit there and I can, you know, clean a deer. I can deal with blood, not anything. Nothing bothers me except me for too. a plastic tube going in my arm. I just know, really It's just that when I see the needle go in, I'm like, uh, as long as I don't watch, I'm okay. Yeah, and I get made fun of at the house because Kristen, my girlfriend, she's a nurse, so she literally does that to people every day. And, see those uh, bruises? Oh, I see them. 
Those are from Ivy's. I don't like it, Lee. You're making me weak over here. <laughs> it's a good thing I'm already sitting down. See those bruises there? Those those oh, are from Ivy's too. Yeah, I'm getting weak to my stomach. Well, the worst thing is you have to pee in the middle of the night. Yeah. And you're hooked up to like 50 things. You're like, oh, God, how am I going to do this? It's gonna, <laughs> that's the hardest part. Well, it's You got to drag it with you and can roll it, unplug it, roll it in the bathroom, plug it back. So it sounds like you're pretty close to getting all this put behind you. Yes, yes. I, my procedures should be in the next couple of weeks. Well, good. So. And then we can go fishing again. The hell yes, you, man. I'm so ready. You'll be ready, right? The, when the October, oh. when the when the topwater bites turn it on for smallmouth, you'll be all over. Yes, I will be, baby. <laughs> uh, I mean, I dream about it every day. I haven't flipped through the newest magazine. I just got it. I'm assuming people who subscribe to the magazine are getting their copies. Soon. Yes, a uh, little behind. My fault. I've been out. We, we have a very short, we have a staff of four right now so uh if it's a little behind i know some people we had a little printer issue and um i just i've missed a lot of work and i haven't been able to help my teammates as much as i'd like so we'll get it back yeah well i mean the magazine's out now so yeah. and then i think that there is i'm looking at the hunting and fishing guide right here in front of me it's got a great picture of story sloan i know it. tim's daughter on the cover this you know year. she interned with me story did a long time ago oh really yeah no she's uh I, her dad tim used to be both of our bosses and, oh, no. Yeah, they're, they're, uh, they're years a and family. years ago, long before I started the agency, I went, look, right when I first started the agency, right? So this is 20 years ago. Yep, yeah. God, I can't believe it. Um, I went and spoke to Story's class. She was like seventh grade. Mm -hmm. And she got up, she goes, I said, I've worked at Bart Fish Wildlife. I brought in a, a print off flap, what the magazine looks like when it's on the press. And I mm -hmm. talked about the production of the magazine, how you write articles and all. And she raised her hand. She goes, yeah, she goes, I'm Tim Sloan's daughter. He's really rude. <laughs> Story did in front of the class. I'm about to die laughing. Yeah, I've never thought Tim was rude, but I no, guess no, when but, you're, a, but, you know, he can be a little crotchety if he wants to. Be. But when you're a seventh grader, your dad's, especially a seven-year-old girl, your dad's always going to be mean. Right? Yeah, no doubt. Yeah, yeah how, it was. It was funny. That's just how that works. But, I mean, you know, I mean, yeah. But Tim's never rude. No, he, he's just. Funny. He can be uh, opinionated, but. Not rude. <laughs> so as far as more information on CWD Lee. Next, so I told you, I'd like to have that. So all these people, everybody in those counties is going to have to go by these rules, correct? Yes, yes. Um, and that's, that's the... Compliance might be... Well, that's that's the undertaking is trying to get, um, you know, we just got to educate people. And okay. that's that's part of the reason, you know, we're talking about it on the podcast right now. That's if you watch the past two weeks TV shows, we've had special information about CWD there. Um, I know that the magazine, your all's department, is putting an amendum in the hunting and mm -hmm. trapping guide. Yeah, Adrian did a great job. She's our guy done. And that's going to be a printout poster that can go up in stores, too. Um, I think that we've done all we can so far. Yeah. We're, we're going to keep on pushing forward with, uh, with uh, getting information out there. In fact, next Tuesday, which would be September 28th, we're going to do a live show on the Kentucky Field Facebook page. Um, to answer people's questions. It'll be the same as our live format, hunting and fishing shows. This one's just gonna be more CWD um, specific. I think we'll look to have uh, just, I, I haven't got confirmation back from the panel yet, so I don't wanna say who's gonna be on there, but people who know, the people who know the most about CWD and about deer hunting in the state are gonna be our panel. Good. Um, and we'll be able to answer questions directly from people about these restrictions, about the disease in general, about deer hunting in general. Because I'm not just going to focus the show on CWD because I'm not sure there's enough questions out there. Because you have to be educated about something before you even can have no, questions about no it. No doubt. 
So it'll be a mix of just deer hunting in general and uh, CWD. And that's next Tuesday, 7 o'clock, Kentucky Field Facebook page. Cool. And we will be taking people's questions from the comments and answering them. So Good. if somebody's listening to the podcast and they want to ask a question. Um, like I said, I, I could go into more detail about CWD and speak more to how it works and why these restrictions are important. But I also am not the subject matter expert. So I don't want to speak out of line or speak over I, top of somebody. I think that's wise. So I'll let the experts give those answers. And right now, I'd love to have them on the podcast, but to be honest with you, they're pretty busy. Yeah, just a little you know, bit. You're pretty bu- It's an all-hands-on-deck type deal. Mm-hmm. Um, and Kentucky doesn't have a positive case of CWD right now. I know. And it's still all-hands-on-deck. Just We're surrounded on all sides now, aren't we? Well, Indiana hasn't confirmed a positive case yet. Okay, good. But, you know, this is another part where I can speak out of line. I worry more about it coming across... Well, it can come across from a hunter. You know, Kentucky right now and for years now, you haven't been able to bring deer carcasses from other states into Kentucky, especially uh, brain or spinal tissue. It has to be deboned. Basically, the same restrictions that apply to the surveillance zone where you can't take a carcass out of it unless it's just been, you know, completely cleaned down to meat and hide and antlers. Those restrictions have been in place for the whole state when you're coming from out of states for years. And my biggest fear about how CWD would get here would be somebody bringing a carcass in from a CWD positive state and then not realizing that their deer or elk or whatever it was was CWD positive. And the way CWD spreads, or it spreads in a lot of ways, but one way it can spread is from a carcass that's just thrown out on the landscape. You take Mm -hmm. a, say you cut a deer's head off at the neck, right? And you just bring its, its head back. And then you are going to have taxidermy work done and your taxidermist takes that deer's head and throws it out on the back 40 or buries it somewhere. That ground where that deer skull was placed is now infected with CWD. And that CWD can live there on the landscape for years. For years. And so any deer that comes through there will be CWD positive. And then when that deer goes off, it can spread it to other deer, you know, with saliva or or any kind of, you know, just rubbing or touching, or when that deer dies, its body's going to be on the landscape and then that ground's going to be contained. Mm. So the way that it spreads, you know, I worry about hunters spreading CWD. If people listen to the restrictions, that's not going to be a big issue. But then of course, on our entire Northern border, we have the Ohio river, which deer do cross, but I don't think they cross it as freely as they do the Tennessee border. So yeah, I agree. You know, the Tennessee border, a deer can just walk across it. So, I mean, it, you know, you know, that's that's the issue um, with how close this case is to Kentucky, 7.8 miles away. That's, yeah. You know, I picked deer up on trail camera before at one farm, and my buddy four miles away has gotten the same deer on their trail camera during the rut. And so it's, you know, not out of the realm of possibilities for a deer to be able to make it 7.8 miles. Oh, heck so. yeah. And that's, a, you know, it's something that if people, like all deer hunters, I, I truly believe that people who hunt <clears throat> and fish are the people who care the most about the resources. And I think a lot of people who don't understand hunting and fishing don't get it. Like, well, you guys are wanting to kill deer. Like, you know, they don't think that hunters are compassionate towards the resources because they're out there trying to harvest them. But at the same time, I'm telling you, the people who hunt and fish care more about those animals that they hunt and fish for than anybody else does. Anybody else does. I agree. And so if you care about our deer herd and the health of our deer in Kentucky, which I think hunters care the most about, then CWD should be something that you want to help stop and, you know, the spread of. You don't want it in the state because essentially it puts a, it, it turns an hourglass on the deer's life. It's 100% yeah. fatal. And once a deer contracts the disease, I mean, they it's, have, there's no, 
Yeah. Kyle Sams was in here on a podcast, and like I said, I don't want to, I don't want to overstep and state things, but he did say this. Essentially, because the deer is always fatal, and it takes you know maybe two years, three years to be fatal, it's going to put a life expectancy on the deer of about three years, three and a half years. And so when you're thinking of a big buck, you want, you're thinking of a four and a half, a five and a half, a six and a half year old buck, right? Well, that's not going to be positive or possible if CWD is running rampant because mm-hmm. deer just aren't going to survive that long. So you're basically looking at a lower quality, less healthy deer herd with less total of number deer. It's just all around bad for the resource. Oh yeah. I see you jotting down notes. Yes. You know, Lee, you told me that you wanted to ask me questions. You're writing an article right now about fishing. Yes. And you wanted to ask me questions. Yes, about hybrids. About the upper dam. The upper? Yes. Okay. I'm we know you. the lower. So we're talking about McAlpin. Yes, we fished it before. Yes. Yeah. And the, do you have the phone number? Oh, uh, yeah, I can give you the phone number. But what, it's, what it, time is it? Right now it's 1030. Okay. Yeah, I know you got to be out of here. Yeah, I got a doctor's appointment. Yeah. Let me, what happens when you're screwed up? So this phone number, and I think I've played this before on the air, is mm-hmm. the phone number you call to get the, the the reading for the dam. It's area code 502-775-5056. And that is the U.S. Army Corps of Engineers at McAlpin Lock and Dam, and you call that, they basically give you the reading for the dam. Yep. Now, as far as... When the upper dam is most fishable, mm-hmm. that's really tough to say because there's so in fall. In the fall, mm-hmm. I, you know, a lot of people like to hit the upper dam for for sauger especially um, in fall, and they like to go out there. You know, when the water starts cooling off in late October or November, I see a lot of people sauger are the most popular species to fish for there. Yeah, in the fall, sauger and walleye, mm-hmm. and you'll still catch you know drum and buffalo and hybrids and maybe a true and a lot of catfish, but that's the targeted species in the fall. So when, when do you hit the upper dam? Is that mainly summer uh, summer fishery for it's you? It's the first place I go. So in the spring when I'm... Okay, so that's know, a spring fishery. Spring more. and summer. Summer's great when they drop the water level down. You know, they're only running one foot on the mm-hmm. upper and it's it's really shallow and, you know, narrow channels and braided riffles. Like, we, like when we were there. Yeah. It's just really, really hard. You know, people ask about fishing those spots and it's really hard to give them a good answer because there's so many variables going to play. And part of the reason for that is the fact that there's two dams, an upper and a lower dam. And I could tell you that you want them running 15 feet on the upper dam, but if I tell you that, you have to know what they're running on the lower dam too because it all affects each other. So really your best bet, at any point in time, at any water level, it can be good fishing down there. But you just need to be aware of the tackle you're gonna need and how to play it safe. Yeah, because you know, when it's really ripping, you need to know what you're doing with your boat control and everything, yeah. correct? And, yeah, and I would not suggest taking a boat out there unless you're with somebody who's very, very comfortable. Yeah, I'm going to say that. And, you know, like people ask me, oh, I got a you know a fiberglass uh, ranger uh, taking it up there. And I'm like, do nope. not. Do not take a fiberglass boat up there <laughs> because, I mean, it's a minefield of rocks. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know... The thing is, in the spring when I go down there and I start fishing it, the water level's pretty high. And I'm standing up and casting from the trees, or heck, the trees sometimes are 80 yards out in the water. I can just see the tree tops, and I'm, I'm fishing way up, right? And mm-hmm. then in the midsummer when I go down there fishing, the water level's low, I might be standing literally 200 yards into the river fishing from where I was a few months before. And everything back behind me is just dry ground, you know? 
So it changes so much, really. The falls, you have to get out there and experience it, and you have to play around at different water levels, and you have to learn it for yourself. Um, but unless you just get on social media. So in fall, it changes so much, you experience, correct? Oh, yeah. It's very, and, very and, variable. And tell me again. In spring, you're right up near the bank, correct? Yeah. When it's high. Yeah, yeah. You'll be up there pretty pretty far up the bank, kind of fishing from the trees, sometimes even up past the trees. The trees are underwater, but you know, the real thing is... But in summer... I think the trick to fishing, it's really just knowing the tackle you're going to need is the, probably the biggest thing. Yeah. Because when you're out there fishing it early in the year in the spring, or say you go in the fall when the water levels are, are coming up and they're running a lot, you need heavy heavy tackle that can get your bait down. Mm -hmm. um, your presentation is going to completely change because in the spring and in the fall, they might be feeding on big skipjack and moon eye, the fish that are down there. And then all through the summer months, they're probably eating fry. You know, had, let, me, let me get this great. Yeah, they're probably, they're probably eating a, a fry that are drum fry or Asian carp fry, just a gizzard shad fry. You know, so the presentation is what changes. So gizzard... Asian carp, what was the other any one you kind, said? Any kind of drum is a big one. There's a big drum hatch down there. And so you're a lot of times when the drum have hatched and you got like millions and millions of little baby drums swimming around, your best bait you can go to might be a spoon, you know, because it kind of has the same profile of a small drum. And so really it's a presentation that switches. You go from throwing big baits in the spring to throwing micro presentations and small baits in the summer, and then you go back up to big baits in the fall. And the water level, you know, it can be ripping and roaring, just all kinds of water coming through there. And you might need to be able to throw two ounces to get your bait down. And then in the middle of the summer, you know, when there's just a trickle of water going through, you might, be, yeah. you might be looking at an eighth of an ounce, yeah. you know. So it's just such a wide range of, of presentations and weights and tackle. And really, I would go down there and fish that place any time of the year and expect to have success. But you're going to have to fish it completely different. So in higher water, you might be able to need to throw two ounces, I low mean, water, one eight. And that all depends on what you're fishing for, too. Yeah. Because I'm, I'm pretty much speaking. Well, this is strictly hybrids. Yeah, right. I'm pretty much speaking to hybrids now. So, you know, I would, I would be fully prepared to throw anywhere from an eighth of an ounce to two ounces when I go out there. Usually I take two rods. Um, one of them is a medium-heavy seven-foot-five spinning rod that is good mm -hmm. for pretty much one eighth through three-quarters of an ounce. That's and then I'd have a bigger rod that I take with me that's good for, you know, half an ounce up through two ounces. So musky, your musky rod? It's a musky rod, but a lot of people take bigger spinning rods or, you know, a lot of people like surf rods out there. Yeah, I've got a surf, yeah. Like i got one I can throw up two ounces with. Nine to 11 foot surf mm -hmm. rods that they can just bomb big cast out there with. A lot of people like that presentation. But that's really it, is knowing, looking at, you got to go down there and you got to look at the water and you got to think, what kind of a weight am I going to need to fish this water? And then you think about what time of year is it? What's the food source? Okay, or what are they feeding on right now? And that's what changes the most is you go from them feeding on skipjack and moon eye to them feeding on little tiny baby fry and then... So in the spring, skipjack, moon eye, and gizzard shad, right? Yeah, I'd say so. Those are all good presentations. Typically in the spring, I'm throwing like... But by fall, you're looking at smaller fish, right? Fry. Yeah, summer late, late summer. So a lot of times in the spring, I'll start off throwing like, you know, five and six inch long soft plastics. Or, yeah, that's what we, yeah. And then in the summer, a lot of times, you know, you're looking at two inch. 
two inch soft plastics, little bitty baits of spoons. And then in the fall, you're looking at those magnum, magnum baits again, you know, seven inches to nine inch soft plastics. And you'd be amazed, a hybrid will destroy a seven inch soft plastic, even with that little bitty mouth they got, they'll, mm -hmm. they'll just destroy it. So that's, I mean, that's what I can tell you there, but it's so hard to give people advice on fishing the falls because it does vary so, so much. It probably has more variability than anywhere else in the state you can fish. Most places you want to go to Taylorsville Lake Spillway right now, mm -hmm. there's one thing you have to look at to know what that water conditions are, right? Mm -hmm. All you do is look at the release of the dam. You yeah. can't you can't do that for McAlpin because you look at the release of the upper dam. I mean, you got to look at what they're doing on the lower dam. You got to look at the upper pool level, the lower pool level, and really, it's just something you have to go out there and and play around with and experience. And so, five to bigger baits in spring, maybe drop down to two inches in summer, and then follow your back to big again. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Basically, you're just matching the hatch. You know, same thing is uh, you're just matching that food source and. You know, a lot of times the best thing you can do, just like fishing for anything, anywhere, go down there and see what you see mm -hmm. and see what, because you'll see, you know, fish popping the surface. A lot of times when the moon nine skipjack are in there, you'll see them out there in the middle you'll, mm -hmm. and you'll notice other people throwing sabiki rigs who are, you know, cat fishermen for the most part, they're throwing sabiki rigs to try to catch bait. If you walk down there and you see a lot of people throwing sabiki rigs, which are basically a line of I've baits. I've thrown one, yeah. Yeah, they're a pain, but it's they like. They are. It's like, you know, maybe six or seven hair jigs tied up in a line with a sinker on the back end. If you see people throwing those, chances are they're skipjack or moon eye yeah. in the water right now. And skipjack or moon eye is probably going to be something that resembles that. It's going to be your best bet for bait. Vibrant stripers love skipjacks. Oh, yeah. Well, who wouldn't, man? They're like a, you know, oily little mill. Mm -hmm. I mean, they're, they're, they're great. Moon eye actually kind of... People, a lot of people think they prefer them over shad or anything. If they're skipjack, they'll go for those. Yeah, skipjacks seem to be popular. They're an oily fish. Um, I think they put off a lot of scent and probably have some. some yeah, and a lot of flash and scent. That's yeah. yeah. And the skipjack are amazingly. I've caught a bunch of them in Kentucky Lake crappie fishing. You know, skipjacks. I, I never caught a lot of skipjack until the past couple of years. It, they're amazingly athletic. Mm -hmm. Like those things can. Fuck. Yeah. yeah no. I mean, they. You basically reel as fast as you can when you're trying to catch them. You throw that sabiki rig out there and you just rip it back as fast as you can. You might catch two or three of them at a time. But the hardest part about catching skipjack is when they're on the hook, you pull them out of the water and they they flop so fast. Oh, I know. They have the most impressive tail speed of any they're like fish. like a ladyfish in the ocean. They're real yeah. similar. They can, just, they can just flop so fast. And a lot of times when you pull them out of the water, they can flop off that hook and back into the water. So, but it's, you know, a great bait. If you can go catch some skipjack or moon eye, you can even use those as cut bait for hybrid because the hybrids will eat cut bait. A lot of people catch them on night crawlers. And chicken livers. Yeah, I mean, they'll, they'll eat anything. I mean, they're opportunistic feeders. But my favorite part about catching the hybrids is they are an apex predator fish. And they, they strike a, a bait with a different like furiosity, you know, like a large, oh, they do. a large mouth will, you know, you'll, you'll feel a bump, 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 and then you'll feel your line pulling or a small mouth, you know, mm -hmm. just, they don't hesitate like that. They don't second guess anything. They hit the bait once and then after you'll, you'll, on. you'll feel a, a hit on your line. And then after that, it's just ripping and running because they really hit the bait twice. They hit it once to try to stun it and then they hit it again to eat it. So you'll feel almost like a double tap when mm -hmm. you get a bite from a hybrid. And I just like that too much, the excitement of hooking up with one, because they do, I mean, they give it everything they've got when they're fighting. Oh, yeah. 
I like that too much to fish for them on the bottom or with cut bait or anything. I really I like feeling them attack a lure. Me too. They're, they're probably my favorite fish to catch, Lee. But well, they're awesome. I I do plan on, I wish I had that buck tack field. One of the biggest reasons I'm kicking myself for not getting a clean shot on that buck opening morning is because I would love to be fishing right now. <laughs> do you think the river's hot right now? I actually went out, I kayaked it um, last week, and it was one of the slowest days I've had. I only caught one hybrid. Um, it's cool down probably. I, I don't know what it is. It's uh, you know different. There's very little things. There's small things that affect the fishing down there a lot. And the people who've been doing it for a decade or more, they know what those things are. But I'm, you know, I'm I'm only been fishing it for three years now, and I'm still learning. Mm-hmm. You know, it's a, it's not a place that you can go fish a couple of times and have success and and know what you're doing at. It's a place that you've got to spend years and years. Because like I said, things change so much down there. You have to see it at this water level and you have to see it at that water level. And guess what? Sometimes you can see it at the exact same water level, but the water's flowing completely differently. Yeah. Um, so it's something that you pretty much have to fish it hundreds of times and, and see it at all levels and all flows and all times a year before you really figure out what's going on. And there are very few people that really have that understanding of that place. You could probably, mm-hmm. there's probably 20 people that really know that river and that area of the river well enough to be experts on it everybody else is down there still just learning and that that includes me you might think you know what you're doing but you're you're still just learning you know yeah, what no. I mean? that's how it is but it's killer yeah well it's not just there i mean that's a great opportunity but i would like to be musky fishing right now to be honest with you now i think that with these cooler nights we've been having and I, and then especially later this week, that'll really yeah. get them going, don't you think? Yeah, and musky fishing everywhere. I mean, I'm talking Dewey and Buckhorn and Cave Run and Green River Lake. All those places should be good. And then the streams, you know, they stay pretty good through the summer. But, I mean, musky should be good right now. I haven't caught a musky since last September, so I'd like to get back out there and knock that one off the list. So that's what I wish I was fishing for, if I had to say one thing the most right now. And then, of course, stream smallmouth should yeah. be... Prime. Real- should be getting really, really, really Top good. Topwater bite should be prime right now. Yeah. Topwater bite, it's been, you know, I, I kayaked it two days ago, I think, Saturday. I went Saturday, so that would have been two days ago. And um, I wasn't super impressed with the fishing, but it was also 86 or 87 degrees. Yeah. And it had been 87 degrees for several days in a row. I got a feeling if we get a couple of days where the highs are in the 70s. We're going to be highs in the 60s later this week. I'll take that. Me too. It's I'm going to put on a hoodie. It's going to turn that top water bite on. Hopefully, we can get some water levels that are down 200, 150, 200. Oh, yeah. That would be ideal. I'll, I'll be watching the I'll be watching the gauge. I'm I'm looking. Me I'm, too. We had a great time fishing. Um, you know, one of the cooler things was there was an osprey that was pretty much. It seemed like it was following us, but I, it was a little bit ahead of us. I think we were just continuously bumping it, and it would fly 200 yards down the creek. And then when we got 50 yards from it, it'd go 200 yards down the creek. But it, we got to watch it catch a fish and. Cool. It was pretty fun. We talked to a lot of other fishermen, and uh, I mean, it was a beautiful, beautiful day for mm-hmm. it. You couldn't really complain at all. And it seemed like, uh, what were those guys? There were some guys that were doing better than we were throwing crawdad um, um, presentations, like so, just soft plastic crawdads. And we talked to a couple guys who'd been having more luck than us, and they were throwing swim baits. Mm. And I, I should have known I should have thrown a swim bait because we saw plenty of fish um, chasing all day long so if you're going to the creek right now and it's not early morning and you're not throwing top water maybe think about a swim, swim bait, bait yeah and a swim bait really should have been what i threw anyway because like i said water level is about 250 which means you're constantly moving 
and you're not sitting in one place. It's harder to fish on the bottom with a slope presentation when the water's up about two no feet like that. Swim bait be perfect. Yeah. So I wish I retrospect would have gone back and probably thrown a swim bait or something like that, a rooster tail or just something moving. But I was just some reason throughout the summer I always get focused on those crawdad imitators. I feel like that's your best bet to catch a big fish in the summer. I'd rather catch one really good quality smallmouth and five little tiny ones. No, so I totally agree. That's what I was kinda of going for there, but you know, made a mistake, still had fun, no big deal. Uh, let's see what time it is, Lee. It is 10.46. You need to call it. I know you got something you need to go to. Today. Yeah, but I got to go to the dog. Well, that's fine. We can do a quick one. I, I well, will. one last thing. Oh, let's hear it. September is quota hunt month, so oh, yeah. if you want to sign up for a quota hunt, you need to get on it in the next couple of weeks. And uh, tell me, so that would be deer quota hunts? Uh, Everything. Sandhill Crane? Everything but uh, what's, uh, Sandhill Crane, I think, are different. Okay. Well, so quota hunt month, September. Got to get online, sign up for those. So you can check this Waterfowl, deer, pheasant, which are a ball. Mm -hmm. I've done the pheasant quota hunt. It's a blast. I've heard really good things about those. Oh, it's fun. I've heard really good things about the pheasant quota hunts for some guys that love them. Be prepared to walk. It's not a sitting around on your butt kind of That's hunting. Good. That's my favorite kind of hunt. Me too. It's great. I, I love the oh, fun. I'll, I'll tell you something else. This weekend, uh, the TV show Us, me, Jameson, Chad, we're heading to... Uh, Eastern Kentucky. It's an elk, a bull elk firearm season. And we are actually, you know, traditionally we've always covered a hunt. We've always gone out with somebody who had a tag and covered a hunt. This year we're going to do it a little bit differently. We're going to tag along with law enforcement and tag along with biologists and go to check stations and talk to hunters and kind of give people a different point of view of what happens um, behind the scenes on those elk weekends. You know, seeing the data samples that are being collected, why they're being collected, um, law enforcement issues they might run into, making sure everybody's compliant, being safe, having fun. So it's going to be a little bit different elk hunt this weekend, but I'm looking forward to it. Yeah. And then, of course, before we sign off, I do want to remind people, any questions you have about CWD, a lot of the information is available on the website. Mm -hmm. Really good, really good resources on the website. But you uh, can tune into our show on Kentucky Field Facebook page next Tuesday. Seven o'clock. We'll have the experts on to answer questions and provide information about CWD. I think the question and answer format is a good way to do this because I could tell people get on the website and everything you need to know is there. Mm -hmm. People are going to read through the website and still have questions. And they might have questions about why this, why that. And so with a question and answer format, you can get your question actually answered in detail and you might be able to get some of the logic behind it that isn't stated on the website. So. Yeah. It's just a good opportunity to educate people about it. And the more people that are educated about it, the better we're going to handle it as a state. No the, doubt. The better we handle it as a state, the better... The better our, the deer hunting is going to be in the future. Yeah, you, you just want healthy resources. So yeah. there are good positive examples of states out there who have handled this before and have done really, really well with it. And those mm -hmm. are the states that we want to be. So we're... No doubt. Know, ...going to do the best we can for it. And uh, I feel confident in our crew and our people. The the thing we need is uh, hunters and sportsmen to be on help. the same page as us. And Give us a little help and we'll all be happy. Yep. So that's what we're going for. But no next Tuesday, 7 o'clock. Good deal. I appreciate you coming in, Lee. No problem. We'll, we'll do one in a week or two. Yep. Sounds good. Take it easy, bud. Okay, man.